Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we are here the week of... Let me look. I'm gonna look. February 6th... February 13th, 13th. 2024. Through February 16th, 2024. Is that right? Yeah, encompassing Valentine's Day. Very important holiday for some out there. What about you? No. No? Not at all. Okay. Well, I, I don't think it's that big. It hasn't been as big of a deal in my world. I've been married a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I hear. At some point, it starts to really fade. Yeah, and so we don't need to do that. Yeah. That was a very abrupt song change. I was going to say, that just, uh, that, that the, <laughs> the, and the bass drop, the music cuts. We've lost and, the music. You know, we can still banter, and I wish there was some music under us, but uh, I share a Spotify account with uh, somebody in my family. Oh, so we've had another person log in, and we've been kicked <laughs> off. Well, you know what happens. Every, everybody anticipates that now. You know, it, it used to be... That um, Netflix, you know, was yes. kind of the first one that we were worried about, but now everybody's everybody's gone to kicking that, them off. So you're just you cannot password share. The days of supporting, you know, your your cousins, your siblings, you know, all these relatives, maybe even just distant friends at some point. Well, know, those let, let me ask gone. you this: yeah. um, Are you one of those? I need to have the actual physical copy of the media persons. No, not really. Um, unless it's like a, a series or something that I really, 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 really like, like enjoy. Band of Brothers, you're going to buy yes, a box Yes, like set. Band of Brothers. Or like Star Wars, which some of those predate streaming, to be fair. So you have I the VHSs? A long time. Oh, yeah. I have oh, you have the original ones? Of, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I have VHSs of Harry Potter. Really? Because people forget that the first couple of Harry <laughs> Potters were VHSs. So I think through like three, you were still popping in VHS tapes. And, <sighs> I, uh, I need to find a VHS player and make sure I have one. Yeah. Because I'm going to get a little nostalgic and I'm going to go, I want to see the original version of Star Wars right now. Well, and you know what your children should have had to experience, which I think is a very valuable lesson, is when you get super excited to watch a movie and you have to pop that VHS tape in Mm. and watch it rewind for a minute and a half before you can even press play. And half the popcorn's gone by the time you get it reround. Yeah, that's true. (sighs) And then, you know, maybe the VHS player messes up and you break your tape and those were the real depressing days. But Well, we're here for Point Two Law Review. Like we said, we've got an ex parte summary. We've got two cases from the Nebraska Supreme Court. Carson, uh, what's your ex parte summary on the first one? Uh, yes, yeah, so SID number 596 versus THG I'm, I'm asleep already. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm gone. Um, imminent domain. Okay. Uh, State v. Miller, uh, motion to withdraw plea. And uh, post conviction and uh, speedy trial. So let's go with your uh, alphabet soup. Yeah, let's start with this one. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, this kind of feels like one of these "you're not tall enough to ride this ride" kind of <laughs> thing. I, I think there maybe is a an intellect level, or you know, potentially a um, area of law level that like you have to be this high to ride this <laughs> ride, and I am not high enough to ride this ride. But I will stumble through at least what the uh, important parts of SID number. Five nine six versus THG development R, and uh, so here, basically the the gist of this case is a uh, SID stands for Sanitary and Improvement District, a Sanitary and Improvement District owning a piece of adjoining land uh, to this uh, business of of um, developed property. So I believe that they were uh, having some some. Uh, 
property developed. And anyway, they go and there's an imminent domain action. And so there's a fist fight over uh, what the value of that property should be. And so uh, there's a petition filed and the board of appraisers give a number. And then there is um, an appeal to the district court from that number. And then a uh, jury trial on uh, what the valuation of that property should be. And so essentially the, the appeal stems from that. But where this appeal really gets convoluted and, and gets lost at is it all circles around this statutory interpretation issue in regards to the uh, statute sections uh, regarding assessments and special assessments of properties that are located uh, outside of an SID's boundary. And so for people who just have statutes memorized off the top of your head, the statute section is 31752. So if, if that's a statute number that you go to bed thinking about um, and, and then perk up when there's an opinion in regards to it, boom, uh, th that this one is one that you should read. Um, it also is an issue of uh, first impression for uh, the Nebraska Supreme Court and statutory interpretation in regards to the statute. So um, if you have... And I don't know if this is a super broad eminent domain case. I'll be honest. When I was reading it, I think it's a fairly narrow opinion in regards to um, the, these SID districts and, and those eminent domain issues. But I do think it is a valuable opinion when it comes to um, some of the uh, superfluous issues that come with eminent domain actions and uh, how to pursue those. The other thing that was somewhat interesting in this case uh, for a, a lay person and someone who doesn't have an expertise in this area. And, and again, I'm, I'm glossing over this opinion incredibly hard, but was the fact that there was an underlying constitutional issue in this case. Uh, it was um, briefed in the first brief, but, and the uh, Supreme Court goes through this again, the strictness of the filing requirements for a constitutional issue say that you have to uh, file that notice of the constitutional issue with the clerk of the Supreme Court at the exact same time as the brief. And so here it was filed the day after the brief was submitted. And so they said, no, that is not strict compliance. And so they f um, did not take up the constitutional issue in this opinion. And so again, as we're reading these opinions and constantly seeing these uh, compliance issues in regards to filing and all that kind of stuff. If you have a constitutional issue, you know, you have to put the attorney general on notice for criminal opinions. And here, if you have a constitutional issue with a statute statute in the state of Nebraska, you have to uh, file that at the exact same time that you file your brief, you can't do it even within a day uh, or that is out of time. So, you know, there's, there's quite a good, quite a few uh, interesting little pieces of this opinion. If you can get through it, um, you may also, it, it may be one that you want to sit on the nightstand, uh, start to read it about, you know, 950, um, and, and you will be uh, counting statute numbers by uh, about 955. So, um, yeah, interesting opinion, but, um, yeah, you'll you'll want to be wide awake when you start reading it. Uh, legal Zequil. Yes, 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 that it is. <laughs> All right. I have uh, State v. Miller. This one's not legal, Zequel. This one's interesting. It's a criminal case, obviously. Um, Mr. Miller was originally charged with conspiracy to commit a felony by discharging a firearm. Uh, the facts are he was in a Jeep with some uh, other individuals uh, whom he knew, and they had a, an agreement to go after this uh, 
uh, I think it was a Dart vehicle, some other guy in this Dart vehicle. They went over to the uh, vehicle, and somehow the fella in the other vehicle was uh, shot and later died from those wounds. So he was originally charged with just conspiracy to commit a felony by discharging a firearm. I think, you know, you have to assume that it, they were doing that because they didn't know who the shooter was at the time. At a certain point, they had one of the people in the car um, point the finger at Mr. Miller, and they had some other surveillance video uh, seeming to indicate and some forensics indicating that Mr. Miller and his location in the vehicle may have been the person who shot the vehicle or shot the uh, individual and the other car. So... This all comes to light uh, after at some kind of pretrial hearing on the conspiracy to commit the felony and the discharge of the firearm. And there's a you know back and forth with the defense counsel. The defense counsel says, hey, um, the, the state has kind of indicated that they're going to file an amended information alleging some uh, more serious crimes or, or other crimes associated with this. Uh, if they do that, I'm not going to be able to keep the trial date that you're going to give me. And the court basically says, they can amend it. That's the trial date. We're worried about speedy trial, or they're worried about speedy trial. We have to get it done by this time. If you want to file something, you can file something, and we'll hear it at that time. So they do end up amending the information. They do end up continuing that first um, trial. He was char uh, now charged with first-degree murder, among some other things, or uh, involving the firearm. So six days before that trial is scheduled, they have a hearing whereby they indicate to the court, or at least presumably and, and ultimately, they indicate to the court that there was an agreement. And they say, okay, we're going to we're gonna um, plead to second-degree murder, and um, we don't need to have the trial. So they go through this back and forth in what I would describe as a clunky plea. Um, at first, you know, they indicate that, yes, this is what I want to do, and then he gets to, okay, how do you plead? And he says, not guilty. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I haven't seen all the discovery. I need to see all the discovery, the defendant says. I haven't seen the video. Uh, you know, I'm not sure whether I should do this or not. And they take a five-minute recess. The attorney goes uh, and, and his client have a discussion, comes back, pleads no contest. Court accepts it under, as with a factual basis, knowing voluntarily and intelligently uh, entered his plea, and it's accepted by the court. So... There's a pro se motion, I don't know, a few days later or something like that from the defendant saying, hey, I want to withdraw my plea. And um, I, if I would have been able to see that discovery, I think I would have had a viable defense and I want to uh, withdraw my plea. That is formalized by that attorney. The attorney files a motion to withdraw the plea. Um, and that was that happened before sentencing. And the district court in both circumstances denies it following a hearing on the other plea. However, they do appoint new counsel. That new counsel files a motion to withdraw the plea. Um, and they have a hearing on that prior to sentencing. That a motion to withdraw the plea is, uh, again, based on not seeing the discovery. And they're, they're in this one of those catch-22 kind of situations, right? So... He can't. He has to move forward with sentencing after the motion to withdraw is denied. Um, but he, at the same time, has a client who's saying, "I didn't do it." So it's a fine line that he has to walk uh, at the sentencing uh, after the motion to withdraw the plea was denied. Oh, the basis for the motion to withdraw the plea was um, 
you know, COVID restrictions and where the defendant was held didn't permit him to sit there for eight hours a day and show him all these mountains of video uh, that they collected. So I, I, it was going to take us a ton of time to get that done, and we weren't able to get it done, and that's why he didn't see all the video. And then the defendant said, well, I did. now I saw some of the video, and what I did see indicates that I have a viable defense, without basically explaining really what that viable defense was. So the uh, motion to withdraw was denied. He was ultimately sentenced to 65 years to life. And on appeal, we have these issues. We have... Uh, one issue of whether the plea should have been withdrawn. The second issue is whether there was a post con or excuse me, not post conviction, whether there was ineffective assistance of counsel regarding the discovery and providing the discovery and for failing to file a motion for absolute discharge and then the excessive sentence. So the withdraw the plea, they go through the back and forth of what's involved with uh, withdrawing a plea, when that should be done. Um, I, I mean, it's it's kind of a loosey-goosey standard uh, on when to withdraw a plea. And the court here puts a little teeth to it and says, well, it can't just be because the defendant changed his mind, his or her mind. It has to be something a little more substantial than that. There has to be a, 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 you know, a reason for doing that. And there's a good chunk here about uh, what to do if you do want to try and uh, get a plea withdrawn. Um, and then it goes into the motion for discharge and whether that was ineffective assistance of counsel. They do find that on one of the charges, it should have probably been absolutely discharged, but because of the plea, uh, ultimately waives that. And they say the record is insufficient to say, you know, what happened in those five minutes, uh, during that recess prior to the plea and other things, the record is insufficient. So basically they leave that for post conviction and then they affirm the 65 years to life on the sentence. So Everything was affirmed. If you have a motion to withdraw a plea or a, a speedy trial issue, this one's worth a take a look. And uh, that's 33 pages from the Nebraska Supreme Court. Okay, next case we come to. I, that's it for the Supreme Court, yep, right? that's it. All right, so we're on to the Court of Appeals. First case we come to is Isham versus Jack. Uh, and this is a fight over a manufactured slash mobile home swap, not to be confused with the wife swap. Um, so what happened here is that, uh, Isham had agreed to trade his 1973 Charlotte manufactured home for Jack's 1988 scamper 305 mobile home. And each party accepted the manufactured slash mobile home as is. Um, and they called the trade even. But they did have an explicit carve-out for a framed two-car garage, which was attached to Isham's uh, manufactured home. And that was expressly excluded from the trade, but Jack was given an option to purchase the garage for $3,000. Uh, and so this happens in May of uh, 2019. And basically, it says that... Uh, Ish, or that Jack could exercise that option at any time prior to and including uh, May 11th of 2020. Basically what happens is a ton of time passes and um, eventually um, Jack never exercises this. He tells Isham, I don't want to uh, exercise this, sends a text on June 3rd of 2019 notifying Isham that he didn't want to purchase the garage and asking uh, asks Isham to remove it. Um, and then basically what happens is he doesn't receive any communication until February 25th of 2021, 20 months after that notification. Um, 
uh, telling Isham to remove the garage. And at that point in time, he uh, demands full payment or removal uh, of the uh, garage from the structure. But Jack tells Isham that the property was abandoned um, and that he had proceeded with repairs and integrated the garage into the existing uh, home. And so at that point in time, he receives a demand from the attorney. And then eventually we uh, go down this track of ending up in this action. And essentially what happens here is we have two causes of action. Um, Isham is seeking um, a right to specific performance under the contract. And then in the alternative is seeking an action for replevin. So we have an uh, issue under contract and then an issue under property. And that's really where the value of this opinion uh, lies. It's it's becomes fairly straightforward factually as far as uh, basically what happens here is the district court finds that the uh, property was abandoned um, and that Isham had had plenty of notice and it had, you know, fair and adequate opportunity to come and, and uh, retrieve his property and he had not. And so it was now uh, Jack's property and there was no uh, right to specific performance under the contract because of the time that had passed. And then the issue was, was the same on Replevin uh, because abandonment of property is an absolute defense uh, to Replevin of property. And so there was no right to uh, Replevin uh, in this case. But as uh, Mr. Brandt says, oftentimes there uh, are some really good law chunks in here. So if you want to go in and, and grab some good pieces of law uh, in regards to specific performance of contract and then also replevin, which is just a, a fun legal term that, you know, I think maybe we don't use enough. Maybe we should just throw replevin into complaints more often uh, just, just for the fun of it. But if you have a replevin issue or a specific performance issue, there's a lot of good law here um, and a lot of good things that can guide you in uh, either one of those actions. Uh, I was told by a county attorney down south that she really does not like law chunks. Oh, so we have to determine a new... Uh, I don't know. She bits of law. <laughs> she has a visceral reaction to law to, chunks. to me saying law chunks. Okay, so uh, yeah, so we're gonna have uh, <laughs> tidbits of law. I don't know. I'll see what she wants me to call them. I don't know. We I'll, are receptive. See, yes, look at that look at though. That. If if you have uh, complaints or in regards to the podcast, like uh, <laughs> digressions in the middle, you can uh, hey. present those, and we may we may revisit. It's been a long day. That's true. All right. Uh, McCarty v. McCarty, uh, this one's going to be quick. A district court, Sarpy County, uh, dissolution of marriage. Crystal McCarty appeals an order from the district court of Sarpy County that dissolved her marriage to Brenda McCarty and divided the marital estate. This is the, oh, what did they say? Uh, third time the case was before them on appeal uh, from a procedural history based on the marriage in 2017. Uh, there was a second trial in 2020, and then there was this third trial. This third trial... Um, there's not much to it. They they disagree over the valuation and distribution of some of the property and uh, whether the decree was adequate in dissolving the marital estate. The, uh, ultimately, I, I mean, this is where the court of appeals landed. They they basically said um, there was a, it's a small estate. Again, given the division of the uh, given the size of the estate, the 
um, circumstance of the parties, the short duration of marriage, history of contributions of the marriage, the court's division is reasonable. We cannot say the district court abuses discretion in dividing the marital estate. And, and it basically said it was it had a difficulty finding credible evidence in order to uh, put things before it to make the decision. So it did the best with what it had, and it's going to let it go. So that was affirmed. There's not really anything there except another case where they divide property. Okay, next case we come to is in re interest of Adrena P. And this is an appeal from the separate juvenile court of Lancaster County. And it is an appeal uh, from a, an adjudication uh, of Adriana as a child as described in uh, Nebraska Revised Statute 43-2473A. And then the big issue on appeal is uh, the allowing of uh, Adrena, who was uh, 13 at the time, to testify outside of her uh, adopted mother's presence um, and then the finding of the allegations that were uh, proven by preponderance of the evidence. And so basically here uh, there was a therapist who testified in regards to uh, a GA GAL's motion to allow Adrena to testify outside of Susan's uh, presence and then the uh, juvenile court's granting of that uh, motion. And I, I, again, I think these opinions are just always valuable to uh, give some guidance as to procedure to uh, handle these issues when you want a child to testify outside of the presence of their uh, parent or guardian, uh, what you have to go through. And here, you know, again, it's reiterated that either a county attorney or a GAL has to ask for uh the child to be able to testify then the prior to any kind of adjudicative hearing or termination of parental rights hearing and then uh, the court must hold a hearing on uh, that motion for them to testify outside of the presence of the parent before the actual hearing uh, where they're wanting them to testify outside of uh, the presence and so here all the the appropriate procedure had been found and then essentially you have to just uh, demonstrate if it would be harmful to the child or if there are legitimate concern, concerns about the uh, child testifying. And um, here, again, the Court of Appeals found that the uh, juvenile court did not err in finding that the county attorney and GAL had met their uh, burden uh, in finding that. Um, they also go through a little bit about the fact that this is a fairly narrow burden and uh, that the Nebraska Supreme Court has rejected uh, multiple attempts to expand the state's evidentiary burden uh, in demonstrating these standards. So it is a fairly low standard, but you do have to uh, meet those basic standards. And then on the sufficiency of evidence issue, basically they uh, met the fact that the child that the that Susan was the parent of the child, and then that it would have uh, been potentially harmful to remove or to return the child to uh, Susan's care um, and that she was put in a situation that was uh, dangerous or injurious to um, her life or limb. So the Court of Appeals affirmed, but again, another valuable opinion if you have a uh, child uh, testifying issue in any kind of juvenile case. All right, State v. Dennis. Um, this one, uh, Mr. Dennis was convicted in District Court of Lancaster County, one felony count violating a protection order uh, with a prior violation. So he, this was a class four felony. He was already incarcerated and he was sentenced to two to two. Um, and that was to run consecutive to the period that he was running already in his incarceration. Um, basically, the only assignment of error here is that his trial counsel was ineffective uh, because they failed to communicate and adequately meet with him. Um, that 
is not sufficient to warrant analysis. They also uh, allege it's excessive sentence. Um, there's one paragraph on the ineffective assistance of counsel. They they don't have enough information to do that, and they are very specific about um, how that was uh, inappropriately raised. Um, and then the excessive sentence, they do not find that the district court abused its discretion. They said that it was within range. So that was affirmed for Mr. Dennis uh, of his two to two years consecutive. Okay, next case we come to is State versus McKinney, and this is an appeal from a plea-based conviction um, after a plea to one count of uh, terroristic threats. And the issue on appeal is excessive sentence and ineffective assistance of counsel. And uh, the uh, original sentence was 360 days in jail, followed by 18 months of post-release supervision. Um, and here, again, with these excessive sentence cases, the sentencing judge considered all of the uh, relevant statutory factors, um, and there was not an abuse of discretion. And then as far as the issue of uh, ineffective assistance of counsel, basically there was nothing in the, the record to indicate uh, basically it, if there was any kind of wrongful inducement or anything like that uh, with the um, plea. And there was kind of an issue in regards to a... Uh, failure to suppress an arrest warrant um, and whether or not counsel was deficient in uh, doing that. And basically what the um, what the Court of Appeals says, they analyze it a little bit, even though they didn't need to, but essentially say that given the totality of the circumstances in the affidavit, uh, there was a fair probability that the defendant was implicated in the uh, crime. And so, you know, maybe they would have been deficient. Maybe they wouldn't have been here. They find no uh, ineffective assistance of counsel. But uh, again, they did spend a little bit of time uh, analyzing that, uh, even though they were uh, not finding that there was uh, anything deficient with trial counsel. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. Well, let's see if I can steal some music back. Oh, what I d- that's really is this the uh, is this the original or I think this sounds like the uh, new Luke Combs version. It does. Did you see them both play it together? Yeah, I did see that. That was good. I prefer the Tracy Chapman you version, do? but that's because I'm kind of a uh, what do you call a, a music snob, old school, you know, kind of. <laughs> An originalist? Yeah, originalist. <laughs> I'm fancy like that. I thought the, the mix that they did together was really good. I did, too. I mean, that was, uh, that was very special nice. That they saw, but. Okay, uh, we won. Our, or did If we both bet on the Chiefs? Yeah, Chiefs won. Everybody's happy. And we may actually, uh, I, you know, it sounds like potentially be able to legally bet on the uh, Chiefs next year, this time next year, if it uh, gets on the ballot and enough what? of the people in the state of Nebraska decide. Why? Well, I, I mean, you can already bet on the Chiefs, but I just have to walk into a physical casino. Oh. But in the future, you're telling me if this Yeah, thing- might be able to do it on your phone. Yeah, so everybody will be sitting in, in the state of Nebraska around a uh, big old container of cheeseburger dip, and they're going to look at their phone and say, all right, family, I got 100 bucks burning a hole in my pocket, heads or tails. And that and you know hundred bucks that's that's fine it's it's oh I I put rent down oh yeah I put my mortgage <laughs> oh yeah by the way honey we took out a second mortgage on the length of the national anthem and <laughs> I don't know I don't know how to tell you this but 
if the Chiefs win this coin toss, yeah. we don't have to pay rent for three months. Yeah, I, and I think the joy of it all is it is the prop bets. You know, we want to bet on what the color of the Gatorade is, not, you know, what the point total is going to be. <laughs> oh, what a silly, silly people we are. Yeah, human beings would find anything to bet on if given uh, the opportunity. True. That's that's the lesson that I've learned. But, yes, the Chiefs are the uh, world champions. Yeah. I love that we crown ourselves world champions since we're – the only uh, country that really plays organized football in the same way, but that's fine. Uh, so the Chiefs are the game. world champions. It was a great game. Yeah. Um, Taylor Swift was not on the TV as much as I expected, which I'm sure is sad for some, but also, you know, great for others. It's not like she she has a documentary on Netflix. You can watch it anytime. That's true. You can watch her absolutely. <laughs> You're tuning into the Super Bowl to watch Taylor Swift. That's what I will say from this Super Bowl. Um, not to belabor that is sure. that. There is not a com- one single commercial that stuck out to me this year. And I, to be fair, I wasn't watching them that yeah. in detail. But like last year when uh, everybody thought that their TV was changing the channel, mm-hmm. that was a really big mm-hmm. deal. Uh, usually there's like a Budweiser commercial that people like cry about because there's a lost puppy or something yeah. like that. I don't remember a single commercial that was like, oh, wow, yeah, that was that was a really unique one. I got to agree with you. I got nothing. I, I think I watched them afterwards. And how pathetic is that that you're watching commercials yeah, that's like, for oh boy, entertainment? I gotta, yeah, I gotta, I gotta check in on what the commercials were. Did you, did you see this? <laughs> oh well, uh, that's a uh, football talk portion. Yeah, so now the- we transition to basketball season. Everyone enjoy this. This is a uh, partial, you know, sports podcast. So are, oh, uh, Huskers gonna make the tournament? Yeah, oh yeah, men are gonna make the tournament. Women, of course, are gonna make the tournament. Uh, I don't know if you followed the big win over Iowa. I did. Um, and you know, shutting drama Caitlin there. Clark down. There was lots of drama. Lots of drama. Uh, but anytime you beat Iowa, it's a great day to be a Husker. So, God bless America. All right, uh, that's Point Two Law Review brought to you by Anderson Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. Offices in Kearney, Holdridge, and Minden. Um, that's it for this week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, everybody.